He don't want to do that either. Yes. Amen. You know, uh, so uh, we, we do come to this time. You know, we celebrated uh, Easter uh, last week. But our uh, friends and our brothers and sisters in the eastern part of the world uh, are celebrating Easter this week. And, and I think it's a good reminder, you know, and then they bring questions up and, uh, you know, it does. You go, well, how is that possible? But unfortunately, unlike what we experienced last week, where we were in pretty safety, many Easter celebrations in the eastern part of our world have been canceled because of the conflict, the war, the atrocities taking place, and that reminded me that life is pretty puzzling, isn't it? I mean, I know many of things. I, I get many of things, and I have some answers for many things, but I also know there are many things I do not know. Uh, you know, I don't know why we have to go through devastation as what is going on in places of our world. I don't know why abuse happens again and again and again. And I know some of you have been in the church long enough, you're saying, but yes, you do, because the answer is sin, and I get that. I know that's ultimately the answer, but that doesn't always help understand. And I'm not trying to minimize that answer. I don't think we ought to. But still sometimes in my own life, in my own pain, in my own tragedies, to understand that, that sin is around and I live in a broken, fallen world sometimes doesn't always help. I get it, but I'm not going, I hope that's not it. Why do things happen? It's a puzzle of life. There are times that um, I, I take my uh, kind of way of thinking through the old cartoon, Pinky and the Brain. Anybody remember Pinky and the Brain? All right, some of you do. Some of you, it was uh, Acme. It was just a small vignette. That's right. They were trying to take over the world, you know. And uh, there are times that when I'm with uh, friends and colleagues, we answer all of the world's problems and we tell no one. You know, hopes that maybe we will take over the world. And then I realized, I really don't want to take over the world. I don't have enough hair to take over the world. I don't have enough headache to take over the world. Life would be even more puzzling for the rest of you if life took over the world. You know, hoping I would make your life probably even worse than, you know, I could. I, could. I mean, unintentionally, right? I'm a pretty nice guy, right? All right. You know, but even nice people do things that don't work out. In fact, as we look into John 21, we see that Peter and his friends go out fishing. He had great motives, maybe wrong idea, with what was going on. In fact, this passage is a pretty puzzling passage to people who have studied it and are above my pay grade. You know, why do we even have this John 21? I mean, because it seems like the gospel wrapped up right prior when John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, 
But these in this book have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. And then we get John 21. A puzzling question, but the best answer I want to maybe give you this morning is, See this as an epilogue. The story really has kind of an end, but John is intentional about what is going on here. This isn't something that was added later in hopes of bringing it together. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. But we get this extra one, and I think it speaks to us this week after Easter. It speaks to where we need to hear the Lord speak. And it reminds us we all struggle with pain. As we open up, we, we realize that many things have happened. We see Peter back fishing. We see Peter, I think, trying to deal with his pain. He's already seen the Lord twice. John says in, in, chapter, in verse uh, 14, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. See, that first Easter didn't erase all their pain, their issues, their doubts, maybe. But they still had them. And, and that can be encouraging for you and me because pain doesn't always go away like this. There's residual pain. Cumulative pain. That's one of the reasons we ought to pray for all of our first responders, our nurses, and those that see things that we ought not to see. It isn't just the first one that is hard, it's the first one, and then the worst one, and then the last one, and then there's everything in between. Cumulative pain and trauma and stress. Cumulative issues. Even within you and me. It isn't always the, the first thing that gets us off path. It's the second or the third, or it's just again and again and again and again. For some of you that are in your senior years, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Jim, don't do that to me because we both are getting trouble now. You know, Jim's over there making gestures. I won't say what gestures. Do what? All right, we're going to bash together. Otherwise, there's going to be pain involved over here to my right or left. You know? But it isn't, you know, in senior years, what we're starting to learn what you were able to cope with now may cause anxiety. You're that point. Now, I thought I had this all together. And you're flustered because the everyday things that you used to be handled now seem more than you can handle. And that's unfortunately part of life. But what do we do with the pain? One of the things we also struggle with is shame. Now shame uh, goes down to our core. Shame isn't just guilt. There are two different things. Guilt is I've done something wrong. I'm not perfect. That is guilt. Shame, uh, my definition of shame is when we take something we've done wrong and we now attach an identity statement to it. I did this, 
I disobeyed. Now I'm an awful human being. And I will tell you, shame is very tricky. Shame is very uh, good at staying in the background. And shame is one of the oldest tools of our enemy. We read in Genesis 2.25 that when we were all created, we were naked, and they felt no shame. There is no sense of shame in the beginning. In that garden, there is no shame there. Then Adam and Eve both messed up. They both ate of the fruit that was forbidden. It wasn't just one or the other, but both. And we read these, uh, these words then in Genesis 3, 7. Then their eyes, both of them, excuse me, were open, and they realized they were naked. They finally realized the extent of, who, of, of what they always were. And so they tried to sh- sh- sew fig leaves together and make coverings for themselves. Shame had entered the world. And they did their best to do what we all do to try to hide our shame and our pain. We take it upon ourselves to do that. I think we see here in John 21, Peter is still dealing with his pain and the shame of everything that has happened over the past week to two weeks, sometime within a month. What the real timetable, we don't know. We just know it is before Jesus ascends, which is roughly 40 days after his resurrection, and the events that have taken place at least. He goes back to what he's familiar. He's already met the Lord twice. He has seen with his own eyes. But even there, I think there's a sense of pain, of shame, of Maybe if I just work a little harder at what I know, everything will be okay. We can work really hard to hide our shame and our pain. And the only thing that happens is we end up exhausted. We end up on, I can't do this anymore. Yet, there is hope. There is hope. Our pain and our shame does not have to have the last word. Is that the news for you? The pain that you experience, the pain you will experience, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, relational, or spiritual, does not have to have the last word. There is hope. There is hope. And I think John 21 gives us this idea of hope. So we read that the disciple Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, who is in John 1, that uh, Ron Lutter has been teaching as we go through the Gospel of John on Wednesdays, uh, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. My guess is that Andrew probably one of those. He's Peter's brother. We typically find him hand in hand. They go out fishing. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. A fisherman's nightmare, right, Pastor Ken? You go out, you spend all day at the lake, and you come home empty-handed. I mean, and Peter is an an experienced fisherman. This is not 
but it's not like he's me. Okay? If I go out fishing, I might just pick a bad spot. I might have the wrong bait. I hear there's different bait for different fish. I don't know. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, of course. You know, I might have the wrong pole. I might catch more seaweed than I catch anything else. I, I can at least throw it back, though, you know. You know, and he was experienced. He knows where to look. This is his home base. This is his home lake. You know, those of you who fish out of Pastor Lake, you know, given the season, where the fish are moving. Pastor Pin does. And Sterling. Okay. I mean, you all are poachers. You are poachers today. You know, I've got a lot of action. You know, this way, that way. You know? You, you know the lake. And when you know the lake, you know, depending on temperature, water temperature, sun. Uh, they're at night, which is when you catch fish. At least in that part. You know where to look. Peter knew where to look. He hadn't forgotten in the past three years. Probably been fishing a couple times in that moment. He is going. So we see this. Yet, Jesus does not give up on us. See, they're out in the boat. And come morning, as, as the sunrise is coming up, we see that Jesus is already there on the shore. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was him. I mean, they're out a little bit. You know? He's out on the shore, and then he does what no one, really, if you're a good fisherman, you don't want to hear these words when you know what's in your nets, and your nets are empty. Hey, friends, have any fish today? Ouch, right? And Jesus wasn't asking because he needed fish. It, it, it says here that uh, Jesus was there, and we read that Jesus had already had breakfast. And in verse 13, Jesus took the bread and gave it to him and did the same with the fish. He probably already had fish. This isn't about what Jesus needs. This is about Jesus reminding his disciples and especially Peter's, will get to and us today, that Jesus does not give up on us. Is that good news? Because in our pain, and in our shame, we think that we are wounded. We think we are beyond help anymore. Because here we are again, and again, and again, and again. Yet Jesus doesn't give up on us. Why? Because Jesus is full of surprises. Has Jesus ever surprised you? Do you have Jesus figured out? I, I, I don't have him figured out. You know? I, I, I love what N.T. Wright says in this passage. He says, when God ceases to surprise us, that may be the moment we have ceased to do business with him. Because if Jesus isn't surprising us, maybe we're either not noticing or we have put him in such a box that he's doing something, but we just, that can't be him because it doesn't fit. So Jesus did a surprising thing here. He tells his fishermen where to go catch fish. 
That's normally not a good thing to do. And some have speculated, well, Jesus maybe saw a school of fish to the one side of the boat that the disciples did. But I just think, no, this is Jesus. And that this is very similar to the time that Peter was called the first time when he didn't have any fish. And Jesus says, cast out on the other side. I think we see those going. He says, go, bring, or go to the other side and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Later we read 153. Why John gets at that? Who knows? Don't get too involved in what that number means. It's supposed to be so surprising that impossible. Okay? But in our own human ways, we go, ooh, 153. Wonder what that means. It just means a lot. Okay, sometimes numbers mean things, but sometimes we go on a rapid trail trying to find something deeper. And this is one of those things that people over the years have done. And John says, it's the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped in his undergarments, and he jumped in. So he left his friends to do all the hard work. I kind of like that, right? He's adamant. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish to the pot. And so they did. And Jesus said, bring, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask, because they were afraid. Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. But see, we got to realize that life with Jesus sometimes, and Jesus after the resurrection, he's still Jesus, but he's different enough. And sometimes we need to realize Jesus still works, but different enough, we just got to go, that's still the Lord. I don't understand it. I may not be able to grasp it, but it's still the Lord. And so they ate breakfast with him. And this is again where it says, now they've seen Jesus three times. When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, I envision them kind of walking a little bit. He says to them, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That seems like a simple question, right? See, but Jesus is going to surprise Peter again. We see that here they have breakfast. Anybody, if you, for those of you who've been with Jesus and know the Easter story, you know there was another early morning that happened. Not too long ago. When Peter denied the Lord three times. Full of surprises, Jesus is showing up at a very similar time. And any of you who've had pain and trauma and abuse, you know that sometimes it is the unexpected triggers of life. Certain smells, certain places, certain times, and you're just like, oh my. And Peter's in one of these times. Jesus probably was cooking breakfast over a charcoal fire. The last time Peter was around a charcoal fire was the night of trade. You start to see that this isn't going to be a normal conversation with Peter. This is going to hurt. Actually, it's already hurting. The matter is, Jesus hasn't given up on who Peter is and what he can do. Jesus hasn't given up on Peter's pain. Peter has probably given up on his own pain. 
And he thinks that he could just do his work. Do the work of being a fisherman. Maybe it'll all go away. It sound like some people maybe you know or yourself. I'll just kind of go over here. And go away. And sometimes, unfortunately, Jesus says, no, I'm going to bring you right back here. See, Peter knows who the Lord is. He knows about Easter. But in the surprising moment of Jesus, Jesus said, I want to go deeper with you. And he asked, do you love me more than these? Is it the fish? Is it the disciples? Both, maybe. Because Peter's been about what he's done with others. Do you love me more than these? And, and, and Peter says, last word, you know that I love you. Jesus said, be my lambs, be my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Can you feel the pain of Peter? You feel the pain. I get it, Lord. Yeah, I told you once, I told you twice. Turn up the hearing aid. You know? I mean, we can feel it. We can feel it. It's like last night, Josiah was having a late night snack before bed. You know? And, and uh, I said, okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to finish eating, turn out all the lights, go to bed. Okay? And, and I said, so what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to finish eating the lights, go to bed. I said, wait, I think, you know, he had them all. And so I'm just going to have a little bit of fun with this kid, teach him a little grammar. You're going to finish eating, turn out all the lights, go to bed. And he, he, he got it. And I said, okay, so what are you doing? And he did it. I said, good. So you're going to finish eating all the lights and go to bed. He said, no, Dad. I'm going to finish eating, turn out all the lights, go to bed. Now, why did I do that? Because by the time I'm leaving the kitchen, he knows exactly what he's going to do. You know? I repeated it. In part because in months past, he's had an issue not with finished eating, but turning out all the lights. And then going to bed. You know? We wanted the order. But I could sense in his voice, he's like, Dad, stop it. Why are you such a pest? Tonight. And I wonder if that's not part of what Peter's going to hear. I've already told you twice. Again and again. But see, Jesus is wanting to bring home the point that Peter, I've not left you in your pain and in your shame and in who you are if you don't want to be there. And he says, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus knew it before he started the conversation. Peter would repeat it again and again. So do you know? We need to be reminded. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, I tell you, 
When you are younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will be stretched out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this, John says, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. And it came to be true. Peter, according to church history, was crucified. Just like his Savior, but he decided he couldn't be done the same way, so he was crucified upside down because he didn't think he had enough honor. He, didn't, he wasn't worthy to be crucified the exact same way as his Lord. Amazing thought in many ways. And then he said to him, follow me. See, Jesus doesn't need us to do his work. I know we say it, I say it, and I believe it. We are his hands and feet, absolutely. But let us not forget that Jesus is the head. And the last I, I know medically, we can live and be functional without hands and feet. But if we don't have a head, we cease to exist. Jesus doesn't need us to do his work. He is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, and he can do it however he wants. Yet Jesus, even here, is inviting us into his work. Jesus wants us. He doesn't need us. Because shame will tell you what? You are unwanted. You are unloved. You don't matter. You will never measure up. Shame doesn't talk about how uh, you, you could do a task. It goes deeper. And Jesus saying here is, Peter, I don't need you, but I want you. Follow me. Follow me. Because Jesus redeems our pain and shame. He doesn't just save us, though he does that. He is in the business of even greater things. The disciples have already seen Jesus twice. They already know the full story. But yet, Jesus still doesn't let them just go off on their own. He still enters into their pain and their shame. Especially Peter. And he redeems it. So what does this mean for you and I? One, he can redeem your pain and shame this morning. I don't know what that may be for you. I have my own. I have my own issues. I have my own shame points and pain points. I have certain things that just, if I'm not careful, my brain goes off into left field. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a mess. I hide it well. I hope. What does this mean? It means I can allow Jesus to come in and still do a new work today and tomorrow and the next time and the next time. He will step in. He's not going to forget about me and leave me alone. It also means that if I love Jesus, I'm going to love his people. He says again and again to Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. He doesn't want Peter to get this idea that he can, Peter can love Jesus and not love the people of Jesus. And the same is true for us. We can't love Jesus.
Jesus and not love his people. And man, can that be hard. Because we bite. We do things that hurt others. I think I've said a couple times, I think I uh, hear at times from others. Similar thing, I was in a, I believe it was either Virginia or Texas. I think this one was in Texas. I was in a group of people that start out with introducing. Uh, we had met each other uh, online. We are now coming into a face-to-face -face gathering. And uh, I start to hear from people that, and uh, first one introduces themselves and they say, you know, um, I've been hurt by people uh, in particular church, okay? All right, great. Maybe it's a really bad church. And they say, yeah, it's a Baptist church. Oh, great, okay. It's only one. Okay? Only one in a group of 12 to 15, I can hide. Alright? You know, the odds are ever in my favor. Well, next one gets up. And has a very similar story. And lo and behold, I, was, I, I, I swear, they were going to the same Baptist church. I hope. They weren't. They were in different parts of the country. Alright, just two, right? Then there's one there saying, you know, um, it, you know, nothing about you. And I'm like, whoo, you know. And lo and behold, if there wasn't four others, four total. Uh, I, my name is, and I've been hurt by a Baptist church because of what they did to me, not what they said to me. Uh, oh, man. I've got a lot of time to pray in this. Because I'm, I'm like on the other end. They started to the left of me, and I'm like the one who the last one was like, and I realized as I sat there, I had to process some things. I was getting a little upset if I remember correctly about fellow church people. Because I'm now in the moment, and I've got to spend a week with them, and they have to spend a week with me. So I introduce myself, say, I'm Jeremy. And I represent, probably to many of you, your deepest pain. I am a Baptist pastor. Ta-da! They're like, oh, I'm sure they're thinking some of the things, oh my, what's this week going to be? You know the four people I was closest to at the end of that week? Those four. Do I agree with those four? No. Do they agree with me? No. But sometimes we have to realize we have to love the people of Jesus even when they cause more work and more headache and more pain for us down the road. And sometimes in that moment to love others, we just have to maybe say, I'm sorry for what others in my name have done. I am who I am. We step into their pain. But we can't love Jesus and not love his people, even when they cause us to work work. Some of you have been hurt by people in the church. Some of you have been hurt by many of Christ's followers. But don't give up on the Lord's people. We're broken. But we, Jesus, can redeem our pain and our shame.
Secondly, we've got to allow others to feed us. You know, Peter, said, Jesus says, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. There's an understanding that the sheep will allow this to happen. But many of us, as Linda already kind of alluded to, is we can get this idea that, no, no, I, I can control it myself. I can do it myself. I don't need you to pray for me. I don't need you to do anything. And this is contrary to everything Jesus teaches us in Scripture. We can't do this faith alone. We can't be the people of God by being individuals. We've got to continue on. And I think sometimes we forget of this. But then what happens is we will look at ourselves in a group and we say, at least I'm not so-and-so. Right? We start to compare one another. I mean, uh, we might say, well, at least I'm not Leland. I mean, because Leland does a little screwy things at times. You know? He, he's kind of one of those guys who just, you never know what he's going to say or do and whether it's really a good thing. All right? And then some of us will go, yeah, okay, so at least I'm better than Leland. And somebody else will go, well, then there's Ron Clutter. I mean, he knows everything about scripture. He's studying it. He's a smart guy. You know, whatever. Or Pastor Kim. I mean, he's a, he's the grandfather we all want. Gentle, kind, never says a bad word about anybody. Don't shake your heads. I don't want to see it. All right, a point. I want to live in my own delusion. Isn't it Pastor Paul that... He's going out for You know, I have to stop, right? You know. No, we can't be there. And, and we see this here that Peter goes, because when, when Jesus puts his finger on our pain, we start to go, ow, stop. And what do we try to do? Well, what about him? What about him? And Peter says, what, wait, Jesus, what, what about this guy here? What about John? See, we can compare one another, and Jesus is going to say, you can't compare yourself with others. And Jesus just kind of goes off and says, who cares, Peter, about John? If I want him to live until I come back, what is that to you? And I love it. We get this remark that I think the disciples of John are putting in. It's because of this, some people really thought Jesus said God would never die. Until he came back. We get that, don't we? You know? We can, we can relate with that. I think we also see here, see, I think there's a rivalry going on between Peter and John. You know? Peter may be the leader, but John is the believer. You know, if you read the chapters prior, you see this. John beats Peter to the tomb. John just kind of peers in and believes. Peter goes all the way in and is still not sure. John is at the crucifixion. Peter is not. He's in hiding. And what Jesus is saying is, Peter, it doesn't matter. What matters is you follow me. What matters is you trust me. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. I don't know where you are. Some of you, you've never trusted Jesus with eternal life. It starts now and ends forever. Ends in all eternity, never. Some of you have. I, mean, I, I see 
Some of you have been in this church world for a long, long time. Doesn't mean we get to stop trusting Jesus. Why? Because we all deal with pain and shame and guilt and envy and comparisons and the like. And I want to tell you, Jesus loves you even in the midst of those things. Will you trust him today? Trust him again today. The words that he said to Peter are the same words we need to hear again and again. Follow me. Do you love me? More than these, what are your needs? It could be others. It could be your pain, your shame, your guilt, your image, any of those. Will you trust Jesus with them? Or if you do, I can tell you, Jesus will surprise you. Jesus will do what you don't even think is possible. And is that not the hope we give the world? Jesus can do more than we've ever imagined. Our job is to trust him and follow him this day. We pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that you would help us to trust you. And if someone needs to trust you for the first time or the 100th time, Lord, that they would do so. That they would understand that you are calling all of us individually and collectively to follow you. Our race may be a little different than the person next to us, but we are called to follow anyways. And then as we have pain and shame and trauma and other issues in this world, you can overcome that. You redeem all things. Lord, we thank you for it. So Lord, I just ask that you show up and show up. May you surprise us even yet this day as we seek to follow you with our hearts, soul, minds, and strength. And Lord, we thank you that you love us even as we are this day. And you have not given up on us, nor those around us. May we share that good news this day. And so Lord, I thank you for this. And I pray this in your name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Christ the Lord. Amen. Will you say